Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast for 2022. I'm your host, Pato. It's good to be back, guys, and I do apologize. It's been a while since my last episode, over a month now. Um, but life gets a bit crazy sometimes, and I just haven't had a chance to actually sit down and think about what I'm going to talk about, what this season's going to look like. And I still don't have a clear direction, but I have a bit more of an idea of the direction I want to take the podcast. Um, I've mentioned before that when I'm reviewing films, I I like to keep it pretty breezy. I like to, you know, uh, think about what I'm going to say, but talk in a bit more of an informal manner so my thoughts feel more natural and... I guess the way that I review films and talk about films feels more genuine and that's what I want to give you guys. I want to give you guys my genuine thoughts and how I feel about a specific type of film or television show or whatever I'm talking about. This podcast in particular is going to be a bit different and I think it's going to be a bit more of a testament as to what the season's going to look like this year. Essentially, I want to steer myself away from talking about the big blockbuster films. Now, I will still talk about the films that I want to talk about, especially those that I have you know, strong feelings about and things that I want, want to discuss, like if it's a big you know, tentpole film that uh, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts on, whether I like it or I don't like it then, of course, I'm going to talk about it. But you'll notice that over the last couple of months in particular that I've been doing a lot of, you know, snapshot reviews rather than going into depth of talking about some of the major releases, especially towards the end of 2021 and the start of 2022. Uh, The reason for that is that a lot of the films that I have been doing that for honestly don't have a great deal to say about them. Uh, I'm finding a lot of blockbuster cinema these days to feel very one-note, very, I guess, surface level. There's not a lot going on for me personally under the surface of what we're seeing. So I'll give Spider-Man as an example. Now, I know a lot of people love that film, and I had a lot of fun watching it in the cinema, but there wasn't a great deal for me to really explore with that film. I I, I thought that everything's pretty surface level. What you see is what you get. I I think, and I've talked about it briefly before, the trend in Hollywood at the moment in terms of nostalgia bait, I'll call it, I'm finding it to be a bit of a dangerous trend and a lot of films and television shows are really delving into it and it's sort of, you know, coming at the cost of showing us a, a decent film or a decent television show. Now, you might think I'm having specific digs, and I will delve into this a bit later in the episode, but at the moment, I'm just finding myself to be quite uninterested in the the cinema scope on, on that larger scale. Our big tentpole franchises and IPs, I, I'm just finding them to be very run-of-the-mill and quite bland. Now, that's not to say that I haven't had fun with some of these franchise films. You'll notice I gave Scream an 8 out of 10. I had a really good time with Scream, but I don't have enough to say about it to warrant an entire episode. And what I want to do now is when I'm talking about a film or a television show, I want to sort of talk about other topics as well. And that's what this episode's going to be. It's going to be me reviewing something, me talking about a topic, and me giving a general update of what I'm up to, what's going on in my life kind of thing. And I think that's the direction I want to take it. Now, I'm going to do different things this year. So I encourage you all to follow and like me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at uh, OzMovieGeek. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to do you know a few more live streams, talking live to you guys about what I'm doing you know, a few Q&As as well so I can get to know you guys a little better and let you guys know who I am as well. And I want to have a bit more fun with the format and do a little more. And that that's generally where I'm heading. So I, I wanted to give you that update and I'll update you a bit more of how frequent this is going to be, what this is going to look like and everything later as it comes kind of thing. But I wanted to touch base with you all because... I have watched something that I do want to talk about, and that is Netflix's new Archive 81. Uh, It was executive produced by James Wan, and it kind of snuck up on me. Now, it did come out in early January, so it's been enough time that I'm sure quite a few people have seen it. But 
based on the IMDb user scores and how many people have actually reviewed it, I'm going to assume that it didn't reach the heights that I would have hoped it would have. So I'm not going to go into too much detail in plot. I don't want to spoil anything. I'm just going to talk about what I liked, what I didn't like, and my overall thoughts of the show. So just a general review to ease us back into 2022. So that's how this episode's going to look, guys. I hope you like the new format, and hopefully moving forward, it's going to become a little more streamlined and a little more fun. I'm hoping to get more guests on the show each week um, and hoping to explore that format a little more as well. Uh, And like I said, I want to talk about films that I want to talk about. I'll still do the reviews of larger films and television shows as they come out if I deem them to be worthy of discussion. But uh, yeah, moving forward, I really just want to talk about the things I want to talk about. So Archive 81 is definitely one of those things. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this one. So take it away, trailer. What kind of game are you playing? We're looking for an artist. Someone who can restore a recently acquired collection of damaged videotapes. Well, what kind of damage? Fire damage. There's just one hitch. Because the materials are so fragile, they can't be moved. So you'd be doing the work at our remote research facility. Creating this archive, putting this puzzle together, well, it would mean the world to everyone who lost someone in that fire. Archive 81, like I said, was executive produced by James Warren and was written um, by Rebecca uh, Sonnenschein, uh, Daniel Powell, Mark Solinger, uh, Evan Blewis, and um, a few other staff writers which were credited on specific episodes. Uh, The show was directed predominantly by Rebecca Thomas, who I thought directed the better episodes of the show, but along with directors Aaron Moorhead, Justin Benson, and Haifa Al-Mansour. Um, the show stars um, Mamodo Athi, I hope I said that correctly, uh, Dana Shahabi, uh, Evan John Keep, and Julia Chen. I've probably butchered those names, and I do apologize. Um, the show essentially follows an archivist who is hired to restore a collection of tapes um, but finds himself reconstructing the work of a filmmaker and her investigation into a dangerous cult. Uh, That's the show on a very surface level. Uh, The show is really a a strong character piece torn between two separate timelines. So we're following the present um, with our character Dan, played by uh, Mamondo Arthi. Um, And Dan has recently gone through trauma in his own life. We're led to believe through a few comments that he has either had a nervous breakdown or 
he's found himself in a, a mental institution essentially, but we were led to believe that it was due to a breakup, which triggered some unpleasant memories from his past. Uh, and now he's on the mend and he's been given this opportunity to restore these tapes, offered a lot of money. So he's going to take on the opportunity, but in doing so, he becomes, you know, a bit a bit more intertwined with this cult and this story. Um, Dina Sh- uh, Shahabi's character, Melody, um, is our second timeline, which we see her uh, her journey in this cult um, in the Visa, which is a building in New York uh, in 1994. And uh, she's living here, but she's come across some strange happenings within the building and she's documenting this cult. And she's wanting to get to the bottom of... It's not really a mystery, but she knows something strange is going on within the building and she's trying to uncover the truth. So we're torn between these two timelines and through... I guess some supernatural happenings during the show, um, the two timelines become interlinked quite uh, substantially, especially heading into the last couple of episodes in this season. Uh, but this show really surprised me. Now, I didn't know too much about it. When it first debuted on Netflix, it was hovering around the four and five mark in terms of uh, where it was ranked on our top 10. And it didn't seem to be gaining a lot of traction online. I always keep an eye out on Twitter for, you know, trending shows. That's how I came across Squid Game initially. And that's kind of what I was surprised with because Archive 81 has the makings of a really compelling story. And for me personally, it hits those beats quite well. Uh, it, It falls into the trappings of it being a television show What I mean by that is it has to leave you with a hook at the end of each episode to carry on. Uh, That's the drawing factor of television, and I'm not going to degrade the film because of that. But the film, the series, but you get what I mean. Uh, It's just the trappings of that format, and it's something that I think kind of plagues the format in itself as well. Because at the end of a season, you're looking for the next season and you're waiting for new content. I always like shows that are left open-ended but could also work as their own conclusion. I found that with Stranger Things when I first watched it. And I know it has that lead into a season two with Will Byers looking in the mirror and he's in the upside down again. But it also works as its own ending and that story almost feels complete even with that hook at the end. And I prefer shows like that. Now, Archive 81 has that hook at the end, but it has a lot of threads that are left dangling that you're waiting for answers on. Um, And I won't delve into those because they're quite important and integral to the mystery of the story. And my recommendation is that everyone goes and watches this show so we can get a second season, but also because I find that a show that focuses predominantly on strong characters. Dan is a thoroughly interesting character. He's got so much depth, brought to life by a wonderful performance, but learning about this character through minimal interaction with other characters, we see interactions between him and his best friend, uh, interactions with the man who's hired him for this position, and potentially you know, a figment of his imagination, him talking to Melody. But through even just reaction shots of him reacting to what he's seeing, we get to know a lot about this character and what makes him tick, how he feels about what he's seeing, and just how the story's playing out with himself. He's got his own personal investment in this situation, which is thoroughly entertaining to watch. And I found when we are watching the the show to really you know, find myself wrapped up in the mystery as well because it is an interesting concept. And I honestly, the, the hook for me was just watching him in the trailer just archive these videotapes. I just like, wow, that is so interesting. And I, I really like watching that on screen. It's so aesthetically pleasing to watch him archive these tapes. But when the story kicks off, it, it isn't as thrilling or horrific as what I guess the hook of the story is. When you read that synopsis, you want it to be either a full-blown thriller or horror TV show, but it's not that at all. The show instead focuses more on its characters 
and delving into who these characters are, what these characters are doing, and bringing forth a really compelling narrative. Um, I found Melody's character in particular to be incredibly engaging. I admire the decision she makes during the show as well. She doesn't feel like a stupid character during a lot of it and a lot of these shows. You could tell yourself, why doesn't she just leave? Well, she tries to and it, it, it doesn't work out for her and you have a look at her circumstances that have brought her to where she is. It all feeds into the larger story but also works in terms of keeping her central to the plot. And I found it to be really engaging in that sense because very rarely do you see a character who makes those decisions and you know is intelligent enough to, I, I guess, get behind. A lot of these, the time when I watch shows and films, and we, especially in the horror genre, because it seems to be the biggest culprit for it, we just come across incredibly dumb characters and characters who make very stupid decisions. And I've always found that to be a, a failing of the genre in general. And luckily, in Archive 81, these characters don't do these things. Instead, they feel very natural and they interact with one another in a very natural setting they they feel very natural and it, it's just an interesting way for these characters to be brought to life as well and that goes down to the performers i think both actors do an incredible job i think they're really strong and they're easily the biggest core of this show um the actual setting itself is very isolated and i've talked many times before of how I feel about isolated settings. I just find them to be really interesting. And I guess coming from someone who works by themselves at home um, and who does spend a lot of time by themselves, isolation can be a really scary thing and it can be really unnerving. And a lot of the time I can feel a lot of that in myself. So I relate to someone who's also working in an isolated environment and I find that to be really interesting and, and really well done and i i think in terms of watching um a, a show that focuses heavily on you know this isolated setting because i guess it's not only the crux of you know the the whole situation because dan's stuck in this isolated remote area he doesn't have wireless, but he does have phone reception and he utilizes that quite frequently during the show. Um, but he doesn't have Wi-Fi, so he's really just working on this project. And we get to know the character just through his interactions with himself, just through a few conversations he has with Melody as well in terms of the, the broader spectrum of what's going on and I'm not going to spoil any of that for you but I just found all of it to be really relatable and I think I could relate heavily to Dan's character and because of that I, I found myself really immersed in the the overall story like I said the show does focus predominantly on conversations and, and talking pieces which work especially if you're a fan of slow burn horror and the building of tension and I find that to be an art form of itself. The show does fall into the trappings of having a few, you know, cheesy um, sequences of, you know, some jump scares. And I find them to be off-putting because they don't really work for me. But at the same time, they feel more earned in this setting and in, in, in this show because it takes them a very long time to build up to those segments and, they do work, that they're, they're effective. There was a couple in particular. There's one which I knew was coming, but because the camera holds so long on this shot, I was like, ah, oh, surely they're not going to go for it now. But they go for it, and it got me, even though I knew it was coming. But because so much time had passed, I'm like, is it actually coming, or is it just sort of playing on my mind? Um, and I found it to be really, really effective. And I, I think... Unlike a lot of other shows, and I talked about it with Midnight Mass and um, to an extent to The Haunting of Hill House, both seasons one and two, um, each of these shows that Netflix have put out now, the Midnight Mass and Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor, they all fit into a category to me because they're directed by and produced, written by the wonderful Mike Flanagan. But Rebecca Thomas and her team, and I'm going to attribute her 
predominantly because she did direct four of the eight episodes. I, I found her direction to be really effective. She directs a really good-looking show here. Um, it, it's obviously incredibly low budget, um, but it shows that you don't need a big budget. Um, you, you just need strong characters, strong writing, and going back to the, what I was saying with Midnight Mass, Bly Manor, and Hill House, those three shows put an emphasis on character and the story before horror, and that's what Archive 81 does too. And I think that's the makings of something really awesome in that genre because a lot of the time I, I think when you're watching it, you, you sort of just sucked up into, oh, when am I going to be scared? And the point I've tried to get across for so long, especially with horror, because it's such a hard genre to recommend people, as soon as you mention it, it's the bad ones that get put in their head, you know, the paranormal activities and and the very surface-level horror films and, and, and television shows where my favourite entries in the genre are those that have a strong character background that build tension organically and feel very natural in the delivery. And it comes from superb craftsmanship. And a lot of the time, and my favourite films and, and television shows in this genre, that their horror is secondary. The character and the story are first. I'll go to films, The Exorcist, The Shining. These films put more emphasis on character and building a, a great story to then have horror as the backdrop on it, even to a lesser extent. Like I, I look at cheesier horror films that have been released recently and one I always go back to, and I don't know why it plays on my mind as much as what it does because I always think about it, is Krampus. Now you're thinking, oh my God, like what's he talking about? But the what Michael Daughtry does with that film is that he focuses on character again in a very fantasized environment. So the story and the horrific elements that are going on around that, a lot of the times it's played for, it's, it's dark comedy and it's played more for laughs. But at, at its core, we have a really interesting family dynamic and that makes it feel more realistic and better than what it would if it was, you know, just a cheesy, terrible, you know, one-note horror film. My issue with a lot of the films that are released and... Halloween Kills being one of them, those sorts of films that are, are, are released are, are, are made as a mass-produced product to appeal more so to generic audiences rather than focusing on building, you know, suspense, great character, and what I've talked about. The, all the character that we have in the most recent Halloween film is things that have been built on in previous films. Um, 2018, to a certain extent, was doing the you know, nature versus, um, you know, nature versus nurture kind of argument with Michael in particular. But even Laurie Strode's character, we were introduced to some really interesting nuggets of of a character and developing this character forward. Halloween Kills just stops it, puts up some really gory kills and some fun horror sequences, but forgets to tell a compelling story and in service of nothing. It, it just feels like it's in service of nothing. And going back to Archive 81, what that show's done so well for me in this first season is it's just done a really good job of establishing these characters. So when Dan ends up where he is at the end of the first season, I'm looking at it thinking, okay, what's next? I want to see more of this character. I want to know what's happened because the, the writing team and the directors have done such a good job at establishing this really interesting character and we get moments of closure with him and where he is at as a character by the end of it because we've been on this journey with him. And to me, that works really, really well, and I really appreciate when that's done well. What I don't appreciate is when it's done cheaply and it, it puts you know a bit of a smear on an otherwise good genre. And I, I do find horror to be you know, a really, really good genre, but it's just hard to recommend. And I know people don't like being scared and, and whatnot, but I don't know. I was more afraid of watching Archive 81 genuinely quite tense during the build-up of that season than I have been for any of the Paranormal Activity movies at all. So it's really interesting and 
it's something that I wanted to discuss and this felt like the appropriate time to do so. But I just want to recommend this show for you because I think that if you're looking at a way to enter into the genre without being scared, um, in, in a, I guess, a surface level scare, you know, I, I mentioned there's a couple of jump scares, literally three. There's three jump scares in this entire show. So what if you want to watch something that's just a compelling story and see why I like the genre, this is the perfect way to do that. Um, uh, go and watch Midnight Mass too because it was my favourite thing I saw at all last year. I thought it was terrific. But go and watch uh, Archive 81 on Netflix now. Um, I, I think it's well worth your time. I'm going to give the show a 9 out of 10, um, but the, the rating systems are relevant here. Right? It's a recommendation or a non-recommendation. And for me, it's a recommendation. So go and check it out. It's streaming now on Netflix and it's well worth your time. So definitely check this one out. The next thing I wanted to discuss in this episode is actually related to Archive 81, and that is the current state of streaming. Now, I've wanted to talk about this for a while, but was waiting for the appropriate time to talk about it. And what I want to talk about is, I guess, what streaming looks like at the moment in terms of your streaming platforms, uh, Netflix, Disney+, Paramount+, Apple TV+, Stan, Hulu+, Peacock, all of it. I want to discuss it. And I've wanted to discuss it for a while because it's an interesting layout. It's very interesting. Where where we are now is just... I'm I'm kind of surprised. Uh, It's happened very quickly. And it's interesting to see what people are streaming. You know, what are they watching? What what's the what's the the gist of what's going on? So, I I want to discuss that. What, what what does streaming look like at the moment? I guess in a general discussion of my thoughts on where we're at at this current point in time. Um, and it comes at a good time. We just got the trailer uh, for the Netflix uh, movie preview for 2022 and it is incredibly underwhelming and that goes into my overall thoughts of where we're at with this whole debacle because our cinemas seem to be getting lighter in terms of content. Yes, there's still some great movies showing in cinemas, but at the same time, um, the Spider-Man's still showing four times a day and we're in February. So let's talk about what the problem is, um, and I guess where where we're at. Let, let's just discuss it. So I'm going to start with Netflix because Netflix is, I guess, the premier service in terms of original content. It's easily the uh, streaming platform that's putting out the most content, whether it's good, bad, or in between is the part of this discussion. But let's just start with Netflix. So What Netflix have promised us for 2022 is a movie a week again, which they did in 2021. Uh, They promised us some big titles and titles that we're looking forward to. The biggest two titles to come out of that 2021 schedule was Don't Look Up, the Adam McKay-directed all-star cast, all-stars studded affair, whatever you want to call it. Um, We'll promise that. We got a glimpse in that preview of last year. Uh, and we were told that Red Notice was coming as well, the rock-related film with Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. Uh, both films I watched, uh, along with a numerous amount of original Netflix content from 2021. And my general consensus is that it is underwhelming, just exactly like this preview is for 2022. My issue is that Netflix are once again raising their prices. So if you want the top tier Netflix uh, subscription per month, uh, so that includes, I think, unlimited screens and uh, 4K Ultra HD, you're looking at $22.99 a month, uh, which is quite expensive for one streaming service considering that, uh, you know, it's limited in terms of content. If you want to go and watch the latest Star Wars, Marvel, uh, Pixar, Disney-related products, you're going to have to go elsewhere, and I'll get to Disney+. Plus. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's what Netflix is looking like at the moment. So what do we have to look forward to in 2022? Well, we've got a number of films, um, including Extraction 2, uh, this Chris Hemsworth action sequel, if anyone cares. 
The Grey Man, um, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo from the Avengers fame, but originally from Arrested Development fame, which is something I always find amusing. Uh, the duo directed plenty of sitcom episodes, but predominantly directed, I think, over 20 episodes of Arrested Development, which is interesting, uh, but helmed the last two Avengers films. Uh, they're directing a big budget action film, uh, looks like a spy espionage type thing, um, starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Now, this was my most anticipated out of the, the schedule. Uh, the action set pieces in this small trailer looked all like they were all in camera and some cool stunt work, which I appreciate, so I'm hoping for that. Um, as you guys know, I love Ryan Gosling. I think he's terrific. And Chris Evans is always fun, playing a cheeky, swami kind of guy, and he's kind of doing that here, um, which isn't out of character for him. Uh, it, it looks the best out of them. I don't know plot details and I probably will steer clear of a trailer until the film comes out, but I think that one's arriving around the American summertime. Uh, we also have, um, one called the day shift, which is a vampire horror hybrid action flick kind of looks like blade. And that's not a race thing because Jamie Foxx is starring in it. It just looks like blade. Um, but it looks like it could be a bit of fun too. And I, I do like Jamie Foxx, so I am looking forward to the film. Um, I, I like a cheesy action film, and especially with Jamie Foxx, because I think he's a really good leading man, and he needs to be the leading man in more. He tried to do the stoic thing, and I reviewed Project Power when it came out nearly two years ago, which is crazy. Um, but I, I, I really do like him and I want to see him do more of those roles. So I, I'm keen to see uh, what he does with the day shift. Uh, we also have Knives Out 2 coming out from Ryan Johnson, re-teaming with Daniel Craig uh, with an all-star cast again, which I'm, I'm excited for. Um, but that's about it. Nothing else really, you know, grabbed me. Well, I could see that there's like a basketball movie with Adam Sandler. I just watched, and don't ask me why, but I just watched the Adam Sandler produced bloody true story, Kevin James garbage football film, the home team. And it was terrible. So I know what to expect from this. It's a happy Madison film. We know exactly what we're going to get some shameless product placement, which in this home team movie, which is also a Netflix movie, there's this gratuitous shot of Kevin James asking for juicy fruit. And the camera holds on the juicy fruit for two seconds. And I counted it and I had to look at the timestamp because I was fucking shocked. It's like, what is this? And why, why has no one pulled this up yet? Um, but yeah, that, that's the, the gist of the schedule. There's really nothing else to, to really grab me at this point. They're going all, all in with some of their um, marketing for this. Uh, the trailer was interesting, uh, showing you know the characters speaking directly to um, the camera, saying you know, oh, you dream big, and this is what you can get, like whatever generic lines. And I was like, okay, they're they're really pressing hard for us to get involved with what Netflix is sort of spewing out, um, but. The film department of Netflix has never been its strongest suit. I could count on a hand how many films on Netflix I've actually liked. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, I really enjoyed at the end of last year. I thought it was a really, really good film. Um, but outside of, I don't know, the, the occasional uh, piece of enjoyment, I just see wasted money. So when we get told that, oh, your, your prices are being upped because we're getting you know new and exciting content, and you have a look at what the content is and you're like, why are you spending $200 million on Red Notice? It's a pile of trash. Um, why why are you doing that? I, I don't want to see Red Notice. I, I really don't. Uh, go, give me anything else. And I don't have to watch Red Notice, but you know these are the, the, the things that we're subscribed to Netflix for. So, uh, of course, I'm going to watch it because it's what my, my money's going towards. Um, and you're probably thinking, well, just don't subscribe to Netflix. That's, that's a good point. I don't have to subscribe to Netflix. That's why I like physical media, so I can actually just buy the individual movies or television shows that I want to watch without having to watch trash. Um, but at the same time, Netflix has this thing that they, they're able to keep me hooked with things like Archive 81 and Midnight Mass or you know the fact that I can watch you know things like Squid Game or Ozark or these other shows that seem to be finding their way into my regular viewing. Um, and, and things that I really enjoy. And Netflix keeps you kind of for ransom on those sorts of things because 
I mean, there's no other option for that content. You can't watch it in any other format because they don't release them on Blu-ray or DVD. You can only watch them on streaming, which is disappointing because a lot of the time I would prefer to watch these shows and these movies and and all these pieces of content. I'd prefer to watch them, you know, on Blu-ray or DVD because it's the, the way that I prefer to watch my content. And I just find that with a lot of these um, these films and television shows from Netflix, you know, it's just it's just the same old recycled garbage, and you know, we we're not given much else to watch, you know. That there's like a, a glut of just terrible horror films and and cheaply made thrillers that make their way to Netflix on a weekly basis, um, that that are instantly forgotten or aren't even watched, and it just depends on the algorithm of what's shown and what's not shown. It's a really interesting and very highly complex, um, you know, algorithm that that really bases itself on on trends rather than anything else. But there's nothing that's been advertised to me that makes me think, "Oh man, I can't wait to watch that." Like it, this is like Ryan Reynolds' dream movie with him and and Mark Ruffalo, and I'm like, I love both of those actors, but man, fuck that movie, I'm not gonna watch it, and. I'm sort of at that point where I'm not going to watch it just because it's this big thing on Netflix. I'd rather spend my time watching things that I want to watch. And Netflix is just playing this dangerous game where they're, they're to the point now where they've got a ridiculous amount of of money. So they're throwing these big budget movies. Like when I say Red Notice costs $200 million to make, I'm not kidding. It costs $200 American dollars to make, $200 million American dollars to make. So... You go and watch that movie, watch that fantastic bull sequence and tell me how the fuck that movie costs $200 million to make because it's beyond me. I don't get it. That movie does not cost $200 million to make. Back in 2003, that movie cost $20 million to make, probably make its budget back. So it's just surprising to see where we're at in Hollywood and you know people complain about original ideas and seeing original things. I'm fine with adaptations and... And seeing, you know, remakes and things like that, just show me something interesting. Because when I watch Red Notice, I I, I want to die. Like, I don't want to watch Red Notice. Don't want to watch that shit anymore. I'm sick of it. And, and that might be an original story, not based on a previously, you know, established IP. But it's still the same garbage that we've seen so many fucking times before. And it doesn't feel new because Dwayne Johnson's in a jungle again, playing the exact same character Ryan Reynolds is laughing and carrying on playing the exact same character and Gal Gadot can't act. So I'm just like, I'm confused as to where we're at here with what Netflix are putting out and why people want to watch that. And someone tell me why Red Notice, people want to watch Red Notice. Probably because idiots like me are complaining about it and and watching it instead of just saying, you know what, I'm actually not going to fucking watch this thing. But it is a trend with Netflix. It is incredibly annoying um, but Netflix still remains to be in top-tier streaming despite that rant. Uh, like I said, there's things like Midnight Mass, The Haunting of Bly, um, Bly Manor, Hill House, things like that. I'll, I'll stay for that. I like Stranger Things. Yep, I, I don't care. I don't, know how, well, don't care how pulpy it's gotten or the fact that it's responsible for the nostalgia trend in Hollywood at the moment. Don't care. I still enjoy it. So Netflix is still in that top tier. Now, I'm going to clump a few here together because I just don't care about them. Um, I don't care about what content's on them because it doesn't interest me and there's just not enough time in my week to go through each of these streaming platforms, you know, and say, oh, let's go and watch this. So let's talk about Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus, and let's throw Peacock in there because we, we live in Australia, so Peacock doesn't really exist outside of it. I know what Peacock is. I know what's on there. No one cares. So let's start with Apple TV+. Plus. What's on there? Very little. There's not a lot on Apple TV+. Plus. We've got a couple of decent one-off shows, a couple of decent movies, um, and it's running show, which I did a review of season one on, which has just gotten batshit crazy and fucking terrible, is The Servant. Uh, the Servant was the big draw, and what the approach that Apple actually took was to get these talented directors and creatives and actors and actresses involved to actually 
I guess draw crowds in because they're like, oh, I know who Steven Spielberg is. Oh, he's doing another amazing story. So let's let's check that out. M Night Shyamalan's directing a TV show. Let's check it out. That's the approach they took, and it hasn't worked for them because no one watches this this show. The, these shows, no no one watches this streaming service. It's got nothing going for it. Um, there's been a couple movies that I've checked out. Uh, Greyhound I watched. I got a, a 12 months free subscription and it did not make me want to stay. I watched The Morning Show with Steve Carell, um, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon. Completely forgettable. I'm not going to watch that ever again. Um, and what else did I watch? Defending Jacob, which was okay. A decent enough thriller. There's one called The Banker with Samuel Jackson and Anthony Mackie. Not good. Not good at all. There was that one about Tom Hanks and his dog. I didn't even watch that. No, it's not Turner and Hooch. It's something else. Um, yeah, no, nah, Apple TV Plus doesn't really have anything going for it. The approach they took is an interesting one to get you know people to subscribe initially. But when that wears off and people have seen those shows, the gig's up. you got to do something new and they don't do anything new. And when I see something, oh, Apple TV Plus has got this coming, it's like, oh, who fucking cares at this point? I'm, I don't care. Um, so yeah, Apple TV plus is trash. Paramount TV plus. I don't really know what's on here. I know that they own CBS. So all the Star Trek stuff's gone back to Paramount plus now because they tried CBS all access and no one watched it. So Paramount are like, okay, let's just merge the two. Um, and then we can have like mission impossible and transformers on there as well. Um, so the shows they've done so far, so they did a one-off season of Dexter, which I heard was really good up until the last two episodes and it, it turned into Dexter because um, I don't understand the love for that show when it, it ends so fucking poorly. Um, Dexter, the new blood, I, I hear the exact same thing as everything else. There's been a couple of uh, like exclusive movie releases. We had Infinite uh, with Chidi Ocho, Edgier 4 and uh, Mark Wahlberg, directed by Antoine Fuqua didn't watch it have no idea what it was like i heard it was terrible so part of the reason why i didn't watch it um but yeah outside of that and i guess they're trying new things with star trek because the film franchise is sort of dead in the water uh paramount plus doesn't have anything going for it either it feels very again stagnant i guess it's the same sort of thing as what peacock's doing so peacock is made up of nbc and universal products um they've had a few exclusive film releases but uh, nothing really interesting. Halloween was the only one, and I watched it through VPN, um, being able to watch um, because I got a free subscription to Peacock, and that was the only way I watched uh, Halloween uh, Kills. And outside of that, you know, The Office and stuff, The Office is still on Netflix here, uh, along with Friends, Seinfeld, that's all on, on Netflix. So I really have no interest or to go into Peacock or what's going on there. Um Let's go to, I guess, the second biggest giant in this whole thing, and that's now Disney+. Plus. Uh, what Disney Plus has done is um, is keeping your entertainment hostage. Um, it's an interesting approach, uh, definitely something that's worked because I find myself barely watching Disney+, Plus, but being interested enough to keep my subscription because there is content on there that I want to watch. A lot of the movies and television shows that I want to watch on Disney Plus I own predominantly. Um, but shows like, for instance, um, a lot of Hulu shows, there's no other way for us to watch them here in Australia because we've never had Hulu. It's always been really frustrating. Um, there used to be a free um, version of Hulu that you could get back in the early 2010s. Um, that's how I used to be able to watch Family Guy when I was in high school. I was a bit taboo, but that's how I could get through to watching it. Um, and then, you know, uh, life happens where they just sort of take that away from you and that privilege is gone. But what Disney Plus has done is they've introduced Star here in Australia, and I don't know if it exists over in America. I'm assuming it does, and it's just got the films on there because Hulu is still its own separate thing in America. Uh, but a lot of the Hulu shows now, so like FX shows as well, so uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, great show. Um, it's now on Disney Plus streaming week to week as well. Uh, the Simpsons is doing that now too. So Simpsons streams straight to Disney Plus after the episodes have aired, which is good for Simpsons fans like myself. Easy to watch it because 
Um, I don't see why anyone would have Ozstar or Foxtel anymore here in Australia outside of sport. But then you can get KO, which is a, another sporting streaming service. So you don't need that anymore. Um, but when I watch uh, on, you know, like um, on Disney Plus and I look through the mountains of content, because Disney Plus went ham really early, like in terms of this original content, they promised so much shit. And we're finally getting a lot of that stuff, which is interesting um, because I was looking at the schedule. And I, was, I was like, they, they can't deliver all of this. And surprisingly, they are. Um, but it's the same generic garbage. It all looks the same, and I'm finding myself incredibly bored with it. Um, I said that when I reviewed um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All of these shows just look the same, so I'm sort of finding myself to be really bored. Uh, you want to know my thoughts on Boba Fett? Where the fuck is Boba Fett? I, I, I know that with this show, it's sort of, you know, uh, all, all these Star Wars fans are are crying over it and saying how amazing it is. And I get that. I'm a Star Wars fan myself. What I'm not a fan of is cheap nostalgia bait in service of a good story. Um, This show hasn't done anything to establish any of these characters. So you throw me a Sokotana. Dave Filoni, who is directing a few episodes here and there of Book of Boba Fett, um, created with George Lucas the Clone Wars, which did all the back, you know, the, the, the hard work and the background on Ahsoka Tana. Um, so when I watch her in live action form, it's like, oh, that's cool. I know who that is. What have you given me? The best two episodes of this show have relied heavily on other characters because they knew they didn't have anything with Boba Fett. So they've used it as a name to get audiences involved. And I just find it really cheap and a really poorly uh disguised um I, I guess star wars circle jerk and I, I i really despise disney for the approach they've taken with that and i i don't care how cool it is to see luke skywalker and grogu doing a yoda and luke skywalker training montage i don't i don't care i, I don't want to see that i i'm just finding it really frustrating that that's what people think they want um, and I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people by saying that because I, I looked, IGN posted a, a positive review of the last episode of Boba Fett and everyone went fucking ballistic because they didn't give it a 10 out of 10. So I know the reaction that people are getting because the internet is a fucking nightmare of just anger and, and hatred. But it's just how I feel. I, I can't escape that this show and a lot of the other Disney Plus content um, and Spider-Man in particular, which is part of the reason I didn't want to review it. I, I hate that, you know, cheap fan service is in, in the service of an actual plot or story with great character. And you can argue that Luke Skywalker is a great character. Fucking oath he is. He, he is the character, but this show hasn't given us anything. It, it's cheap for me to see Luke Skywalker here because, like, I, I know Luke Skywalker in the context of this story... Who the fuck is he? Like, what, what's going on? So I just find it really frustrating, and that's my thoughts on, on that whole whole thing, and that's kind of like what Disney Plus is doing. It's like, ah, oh, remember this? Remember this? Remember this? You have a look at all the, the content that's like kind of in the works outside of, you know, the Marvel and Star Wars stuff. It's like live-action remakes playing on the fact that you knew them when you were a kid, and it's just lazy to me. And... It's the worst kind of, you know, lack of originality in Hollywood because I just find it to be really cheap. The idea of a soft reboot worked when it was a one-off with The Force Awakens. You use it as a a plot thread to then tell your story, but then go and tell your story. Um, Star Wars did that with The Last Jedi, but people hated it because they just want to see Luke Skywalker throwing his lightsaber around and Darth Vader. That's all they want to see. So, and Disney are caving to that pressure as well. So that's why all these shows feel and look the same because they are the same. These Disney execs look at their content and just think, you know what? We're just going to do the same thing over and over again because why not? It sells. And that's why I'm not, uh, the the last two episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, uh, the book of Boba Fett, say I can't even, Boba Fett's not in it. So that's why it's hard to remember what it's actually called. I'm not going to watch it. I'm I'm off it. I'm just over this whole facade and it just feels very lazy to me. Uh, it feels very cheap and Disney's probably the worst for it. But Disney also manages to keep you, you in, you know, like I, I'm still 
still subscribed. Um, my partner loves loves a lot of the content that's on there. Uh, it's cool to see some of the things fast track from cinemas, like Encanto, which I thought was really entertaining, and it was really cool to see that. Um, original idea, by the way. Um, funny, funny that. Um, and other films as well, like the the Last Jewel. Um, it got released on Disney Plus just before it came out on Blu-ray and 4K, and I bought it on um, 4K. But I still appreciate that I have that option, and some of the content, like I mentioned, the Hulu exclusives, like. Um, Solar Opposites, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and things like that. I, I appreciate that I can actually watch them on Disney+. Plus, So it has that going for it. It's just the, the nostalgia-baked garbage that they're doing with Star Wars. Um, the Marvel stuff is okay. I liked Loki. Falcon and the Winter Soldier I can do without. WandaVision was okay. Um, Hawkeye was actually really entertaining. Like It was very grounded and felt like it actually had a director, which was unique and different. Um, I really like the look of Moon Knight and I love Oscar Isaac and um, seeing Ethan Hawke as a villain is going to be really fun. But yeah, I don't know. Disney, Disney, um, yeah, sort your shit. And I, I, I know that I'm in the minority here because I see the mountains of fans on, on, you know, Twitter threads and on Instagram who are complaining about people complaining about Star Wars. But I don't know, like, think about it. When, when Book of Boba Fett's finished, are you going to think about what you've seen, I sure as hell, I, I'm not. I, I can barely think of what the fucking running story is for this show, so I'm not going to. Um, but I, again, I'm in the minority and I understand that, but it's just how I feel. Um, yeah, that's Disney Plus for you. Disney, Disney irritates me and it's always fun to talk about it, but does irritate me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it for streaming. We have Binge here in Australia, which is pretty much HBO Max. All our HBO shows go straight there. Um, I like Binge because I like HBO and it's cool to have all that content there. Peacemaker's been airing week to week there. Those HBO Max specials go straight there. Um, so I appreciate Binge. Binge has the worst format, though, to actually choose the programming to watch. Um, the, the formatting almost feels broken when you're scrolling through selecting or trying to skip the intros, things like that. Really, really poor interface. Um, not sure what it's like with HBO Max because we don't have it here in Australia, but Binge is very interesting in that regard. Uh, but yeah, it's cool because all the HBO shows air week to week there. and I love HBO, so that's really handy. Um, we have Stan here in Australia too. Uh, there's some interesting Stan exclusive content. Uh, the most recent being Zac Efron's new film, Gold, which I still haven't watched, but I hear good things. So um, I appreciate Stan in that regard because we get a lot of good homegrown entertainment here in Australia, um, which is really, really cool to see. Um, the only other one to talk about is Amazon. And again, Amazon has some interesting shows. Uh, they have a lot, like a lot in the works. Um, the Boys is a really good show. Um, I really like The Boys. I'm keen for Lord of the Rings. I won't lie, I'm pretty excited. Um, it's quite cheap as well, which I guess adds to its value because not only do you get to watch, um, like, you know, your, your content, you also get free shipping with Amazon, which is, you know, a, a pretty good deal. So Amazon's not too bad, but there is a, like, when I talk, I, I said there's a glut of stuff on Netflix. That, that, that's nothing compared to what's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, I remember going through the Halloween section, uh, trying to find a horror movie for my partner and I to watch during Halloween. I was scrolling literally probably for 35 minutes, maybe even longer, because the, like, the toggle didn't end. There was just that, they're all like filmed on, on, on an iPhone, like garbage, straight to DVD or straight to streaming now, which is probably worse than straight to DVD. Um, films and Amazon has just so many of them. It's quite shocking, uh, and it's funny because they've just all got it on this on their servers. So you go through and you're like, oh, like you you go through the first three pages and you're like, ah, oh, I could see the quality dipping. You know, like you go through your action movies and you're like, oh wow, it's got this on here. And then you go down and you're like, okay, it's got Ethan Hawke in it from 2020. I didn't think he made any movies. Oh, okay, that's why it's a, it's a straight to DVD film keeps going until you get to like, you know, um, your next door neighbor who, who's making a movie, you know, like it, it's just absurd that it shows that anyone can make a movie. Um, but it's really interesting um, with Amazon Prime because 
like I said, it's got that added value that if you do have Amazon Prime, you also get that uh, free shipping, which is like an interesting like bonus, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that that's kind of my overview of streaming. It, it's an interesting animal. Um, it, it's got so much going on and there's so much content. And it's honestly exhausting because I... You know, I'm sitting down tonight and I'm thinking to myself after I finish recording, it's like, oh, you know, while I'm editing this, it's like, oh, what am I going to have on in the background? What am I going to watch? And at the end of the day, I'm probably just going to watch The Office because I just don't know what else to watch, you know? Like, I don't want to go and watch uh, another, waste my time watching The Home Team. And I know you guys are thinking like, why the fuck would you watch it? It's, It's produced by Adam Sandler. It's got Kevin James in it. Yeah, I know, I know. I just put it on because I was like, I want something to play in the background and surely it can't be that bad. And, you know, it is better than the wrong Missy. I guess that's saying something, but it's still a Happy Madison production. So, yeah, it's it's, it's not good. Um, but streaming, yeah, it, it's this is where we are, you know. Like, I, I have subscriptions. I only pay for Disney+. Plus. Luckily, like, you know, mum and dad have got Netflix and my brother's got Amazon and um, my partner's brother's got Binge. So, like... You know, everyone's got something and you just sort of just share around your your passwords to watch it because you're not going to all be watching the one th- you know the same thing at once but yeah it's just a it's just a shit thing that this is where we are you know like everything is on streaming I, I prefer to go down to a video store on the corner and rent something I, I I just find it far too mass produced I guess to to watch everything on a streaming service and I just find it cheapens the the effect and the impact uh, it upsets me that younger generations don't have the option to go down to a video store and rent something because that was a huge part of my childhood and i always found it to be really really fun to be able to you know walk through the aisles and choose something you know oh, 10 weeklies for two dollars bargain um I, I miss that um but i guess it's just where we are and it's just the way things the the, the trend's gone the the boat's left it's just where we are now. So we just have to accept it and move on. But, um, yeah, I, I think audiences need to be a little more stern of what they want. If you legitimately don't like something, then turn it off. Because if you keep watching it and you keep doing it, we're going to get a red notice two and three. It's just the way that these things work. Um, you know, like I, I think... Adam Sandler's like Hubie Halloween, which I didn't hate. And you guys remember my review. I didn't hate that movie. But like it, it was like the most watched thing in October in history um, on Netflix. So then, of course, you know, Adam Sandler gets another 10 movie deal with, with Netflix. And then we get things like The Home Team or this crappy basketball movies working on. Watch me eat my words about that one. So I guarantee that it ends up being like an okay basketball movie. But just how I feel, I just think that the, the trends are interesting. They're dangerous. Um, and I just hope that creative talents um, behind the camera can still make content they want to make without it being, you know, this mass-produced stuff. That's why I applaud everyone. If you legitimately like something, don't wait for it to come out on Netflix. Go and rent and buy it on Blu-ray or DVD. Go go and actually pick it up because it's the only way that we're going to be able to go and see these things on a big screen or have original content still. You know, local cinemas, they're all hurting because of covid um, and streaming does not help with that. So definitely go out and support those guys because we want to see interesting and new content. If everything that's showing in cinemas is Spider-Man for the rest of existence, then it's going to be a pretty boring old time in the cinemas. So I implore everyone to go out and actually pick up the movies that they want to watch. Um, make sure you own a Blu-ray or DVD player. It's cool having streaming, but you know, in the case of you know, an internet outage or, or whatever happens, Skynet rises, whatever the fuck, go and pick up a Blu-ray or something because it's it's worth your time. It definitely is worth your time and it, it promotes that to audiences, you know, uh, to, to studios, sorry. It, it promotes to studios that audiences want to see different content. They don't want to see the same thing over and over again, which is the trend that we've been heading down for a, a long-ass time, but... And, you know, if I, if I could get in with these Netflix guys and say, hey, why don't we do this instead and just see how this goes and let's see what else we can do, then, you know, I would I would like that. <laughs> I would like to be able to sit on, sit on some of those meetings and have a chat 
to some of these big studio execs. But yeah, it, it's a dangerous trend. So definitely, uh, like I said, go and pick up movies from your local Sanity or JB Hi-Fi or whatever. Go and pick them up because it helps those guys out and it promotes as well. Hey, we still want to watch movies and we want to watch you know quality entertainment. But that's streaming for you. That's streaming as of 2022 thus far. So to conclude this episode, um, I guess going back to what I initially talked about is just, you know, what's the podcast doing? What Where, where are we at? Um, what's going on with me? Um, so I'm still checking out movies. I'm still reviewing them. I'm still doing my snapshot reviews. Um, I do my blog post for Sanity and I'm trying to be more engaging on, you know, Instagram and Twitter. Um I guess, like I've mentioned, work and life gets in the way sometimes. It's been a an interesting start to 2022. I was hoping to be back out in the world, you know, uh, going to work, sitting in an office with actual people. COVID had other ideas and instead I'm working from home again this year. Um, it's not the best. Uh, it does play on your mind a little. And I've talked before about separating my work from what I enjoy doing with my podcast and I find it hard when I'm sitting at the exact same desk that I sit at for 35 to 40 hours a week um, working to actually sit down and do a podcast and you know separating the two can become quite difficult um, especially you know when when you're not a hundred percent and I found it to be quite difficult to separate the two and I put off doing the podcast because I don't want to be sitting back at this desk. But at the same time, when I start talking, you know, I feel a little better and going on a rant about Disney and Star Wars makes me feel better because I can actually talk about this sort of stuff and I don't have those avenues a lot of the time. And um, it's hard to actually talk to people who don't want to listen to you about film and television and that sort of thing because... You know, it's not for everyone. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's my cup of tea. And this is how I like to, you know, discuss what I'm doing. Um, and, yeah, I had a had a passing in the family recently, which has been quite, quite difficult um, for me. Um, and it's been, uh, you know, a bit of a slog to start the year. Um, but I'm back. It's taken me a month to get recording but I've recorded this one I've talked about a few things I wanted to talk about and I flirted with the idea of a new format for the show um, and like I said I want to want to do more this year in terms of getting more people on board um, and, you know grow my audience again and, and really try and you know pick up the pieces and, and make this something special um, and th- that's what I'm planning on doing and I hope that you guys enjoy um, what you're listening to. If you don't, that's okay. You can stop listening. But um, I appreciate the continued support from my audience. Um, if you want to share the podcast with others, definitely do so. Um, and, yeah, just just keep, I guess, you know, keep, keep, keep talking. Keep talking to me. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. What are you watching at the moment? I'm always interested and I always want to know and, I really uh, applaud you all to, you know, spend some time to reconnect, I guess, with your creative side. Um, my, I guess, avenue is I, I love watching a, a good TV show or a good movie to really, you know, broaden my horizons and sort of get me a bit more passionate about talking about film and television and um, I guess inspire me to maybe be creative in that sense myself. And I like having that time. It, I find it to be my um, my happy place, I guess, as well. Like I find myself to be quite happy when I'm, I'm watching film and television. I've always found it. It's quite peaceful to me. Uh, so I recommend you all find that inner zen um, in whatever it may be, if it's going for a walk or if it's listening to this podcast or maybe it's, you know, um, maybe it's going sailing. I don't know. Do, do people sail? Um, but whatever it may be, guys, just just make sure you're spending time to think of your own mindfulness and, and your own self, uh, I guess, health, um, if it be mentally, physically, a combination of both. You've just got to spend time on yourself and that's something I've, been trying to do more of is just focus on my own um, mental well-being in particular 
Um, and I, I, I implore you all to do the same. So, um, yeah, I, let, let, let's use this year to sort of reconnect. Um, and that's the way I'm going to use that uh, this year. I'm still going to review movies. Um, don't worry, you're not going to miss out on a big blockbuster review. It just might not come in the form of a podcast. Maybe it's a written review on my Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but that's where I'm at. That's what the podcast is looking like. And I hope to see you all again very shortly. Um, and like I said, get in contact with me, guys. I always love to hear from you. So, um, yeah, that brings this episode to a conclusion. So thank you all again for listening um, and look forward to more content coming at you very shortly. Thanks a lot, guys. And until next time, peace out.